Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. I'm French. And, and the Bernabeu blinks it back! I've got a problem with soccer, to be fair. Football. Oh, what a start! All what they can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret. Everybody, welcome to House of Champions, and obviously it is the big one. We've just seen Manchester City dismember Arsenal 4-1 in the Premier League, potentially a pivotal result in the Premier League title race. And with me to dismantle all of it, dissect it into its minutiae, Nigel Rio Coca, Mike Lahoud. And I'm delighted to say that Heath Pierce is making a guest appearance as well. Wish it, wish it was for a better result, uh, HP, but uh, we'll get to that in a minute because I do believe that uh, before we delve into this episode of House of Champions, obviously, uh, like, comment, and subscribe, download, follow, leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. We are going to be bringing James Benj in immediately from Etihad Stadium for some reaction hot off the press. James Benj, how are you doing, my friend? Tough tough result to take uh let's get straight into it what do, what does that mean for for the premier league title race yes it's done just it's a matter of when city win it now rather than if they do because it's not just about you know the the points it's about the momentum and arsenal the second best team in england didn't look anywhere near man city and if arsenal are going to get blown apart like this how does does anyone that follows them have half a chance? Um, this was obviously pitched as, and I still think was, the battle between the two best teams in the Premier League, even if Arsenal were off colour. Um, and I think this was just a reminder that what we really have is a Premier League where there is relative parity between 19 teams. Maybe you've got six or seven that are clear there, and then you've got one team that is a million miles away from anyone else. And if that team is in the mood if that team is on form if that team's fit they will win the league every season I mean how much do you feel um, that City have been kind of building up to this kind of performance in recent weeks because this was really KDB uh, you know it is absolute best uh, you know almost inversing the roles with Haaland at time where times where you know you saw you know him taking centre stage really and Haaland almost playing like a, a supporting role. Uh, it really was devastating at times when you look at some of the some of those goals. 
yeah, from a city perspective, this is leaps and bounds on from certainly the last time they met at the uh, Etihad. I mean, one of the things I wrote about this in my preview uh, was that City again looked for those long balls up to uh, up to Haaland's. But last time these two met at the Etihad, uh, the balls kind of fell Arsenal's way because Haaland was on his own. Well, this time City have adjusted and they've got a bit more intense and they have runners off Haaland. And that's where that first goal comes from. It's There are mistakes there from an Arsenal perspective but it's also just an absolutely brilliant goal. Um, it's just another level. It's the best city, city I've seen in recent years, and uh, I don't think any team in, in Europe can live with them. And if they want it, the treble's there for them. Yeah, James, with you being at the Etihad Stadium, taking everything in person, for those of us at home and those of us watching on House of Champions, who are some of the players that really stood out to you, apart from the headliners, the Kevin De Bruyne's Erling Holland, that you really appreciated seeing live in person? Do you remember when I said uh, Gabriel was the best centre-back in the Premier League? And you all said I was wrong. Um, you're going to think I, I, it's not Saliba, it's John Stones. John Stones is the best mm. defender in the league. His uh, ease and composure under press, under pressing, that's what made the, the difference, really. When Arsenal got pressed, they panicked. When City got pressed, they enjoyed it. Stones in particular was like, come on. Saka, come on, Erdegaard, run at me. I'll just, I'll beat you. No problem. Uh, Stones, Diaz, the defence has just got a swagger to it um, and reminds me of the very best versions of City I've seen. Uh, I mean, obviously, you all saw what De Bruyne and uh, Haaland can do, especially, i say what stood out most to me. Haaland, without the Alice band, no stopping this guy. Erling Targaryen is another level. <laughs> <laughs> James... From an Arsenal perspective, do you think you can be critical of Arsenal in the sense of how they press? That were, do you feel they were really aggressive enough in their press, or they pressed half-hearted and showing City too much respect? It's a it's a good question and a hard one to call because I think that initial I thought they pressed really well before the first for the first goal, and they did the right thing. And I think that knocked them for six because if you get your press right then and this is what happens. And I think there is always the worry of they can just hit it into midfield, Haaland will pick it up and and they'll lose it that way. I, I just felt like Arsenal quite quick, quickly concluded they had no answer for City. And they that's why the intensity dropped back. Can you blame them for that a bit? You can, but um, I don't know. I just don't think the best version of Arsenal playing the very best football would have done much other than lose by two goals rather than... For a yeah, I fully agree with that. And good to see you, Benji. I wish that we were uh, speaking on, on different terms right now uh, around a different match. But do you think there was a tactical genius in that uh, from Pep Guardiola in terms of, again, knowing that they were going to press high, they could win, they could cough up balls in good areas. But that lump up top uh, just creates uh, uh, second balls, right? 50-50 opportunities. And with a player like Holland that can scrap and establish position, you know, that first goal comes out of there. But it's almost like, you know, I thought the pressing was really good up to that point, at least in terms of its uh, its cohesiveness. But being able to lump the ball is generally the answer to that. And it's, it's something that we haven't seen in cities of the past is that ability to play a little more direct to skip the lines. Do you think there was an anticipation that that was going to be the exit exit ball or an answer to some of their problems tonight? Yeah, I do really think they saw that coming. That's a good question, Heath. Um, equally, like, you know, there were little, little edits, weren't there? John Stones didn't really step into midfield. They played with more of a four than a, than a three. Uh, at the back and um, 
it's just I think Arsenal, in spite of what Arteta said beforehand, that's they thought they were playing a team that was going to play a three-two-four-one. It was four-two-three-one or four-four-two really. And I think for that reason, kind of so much of Arsenal's game plan was contingent on how City would play. Everything got scrambled, and it sort of all fell apart very quickly from the off. And and I think it's as much as thing you guys know when those game these big games start badly for you, they can it can really fall off a cliff quite quickly. And and I felt that's what happened to Arsenal mentally. Um, but I think they'll be back next season. I think they will be back as one of the teams that don't really have a chance of winning the title unless City are dreadful. Well, I think we've already kept James Benj uh, long enough from uh, from Etihad Stadium tonight, so we'll let him get to the uh, post-match press now. But James, thanks so much for for jumping in and joining us. Always great to to get uh, the the live reaction from the stadium when uh, when big games like this go down, and uh, hopefully you get home safely uh, tonight. And uh, fingers crossed, there are some unexpected twists and turns in this title race because obviously it's uh, it's a tough result to take. Yeah, that's not happening. But thanks, guys. I'll uh, I'll see you soon. <laughs> have a few drinks for us, Benj, mate. Don't worry about it. You need it. Don't worry. Smithers. He's going to have some after he finishes oh, as well. Man. All right, guys. Somebody else who needs a stiff drink poured for him, Heath Pierce. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, did you anticipate that this might be one of the eventualities, this kind of result? Because we all know that City have shown some mean form in the last couple of months. But, you know, for Arsenal to suffer that kind of blowout, given the way that the season had gone... In some ways, it kind of felt inevitable because you kind of seen the way that Arsenal have been weakening, especially after losing Saliba with with Xhaka being ill coming into this match as well. But equally, you know, for City to go and produce a performance like that and to get the goals as well that that performance merited, uh, you know, that that must smart. Yeah, I mean, when I just look at this this performance from Manchester City and going back to again the form that they've been in started with a win over Arsenal in in, in February it didn't start but the, the early uh signs of that form you go back to February and I think James Ben said it really well it didn't matter if Arsenal went on to win this title this year uh which which I agree with him I don't think they will I think that that that's done and dusted they were still the second best team in the Premier League period right with when you just look at City you can't say anybody's better than them Right, you could say that others can compete on their year. I think Arsenal took them to to the brink. To me, it goes outside of these matches in terms of you know the two nil uh, leads that they had recently, going down two nil recently, those types of things. Yes, you could say that. Oh, they're missing Saliba, and that's the big thing. But there is just a wear and tear on this team from a belief standpoint that's hit them in a match like like today. And it ultimately came down to a couple moments in this match. They were completely outplayed and outclassed, but they could have kept this game a lot closer. Right, a lump of ball up top. You don't cover in underneath to be able to slow the game down and get defenders back. They go and score because they have the world-class quality to do that. The second one, just before half, it's the classic thing that uh, both uh, LaHood and and Nigel know of just getting out into the half. It changes the dynamic of the game. We saw that uh, in, in another match that happened today as well. Of just being able to close it out and keep the game close, that changes everything also. And then when you put it into the grand context of the match, now they're chasing 2-0 in the second half against a team that's far better than them and better form than them. Uh, with a higher belief than them at home with an in- insane record. It's just an in- insurmountable uh, mountain to, 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 to climb. And, and I just think that there's a number of factors that even to the point where I put it on, on my screen here, that little details matter. All those little details leading up from the tactics to how they prepped for this game, to how they reacted to the first goal, to how they gave up the one right before the half. It is a game of, 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 of moments and making those plays. And it just made it, they made it really hard on themselves. And, City were always the better team, I believed, going into this game 
uh, wholeheartedly that it was still City's title uh, to lose. And they've got the experience. They've got uh, to, to handle these types of moments. Arsenal have continued to look more and more nervous after a couple of weeks. So it's probably nothing that you guys haven't already said on the show over the last uh, few weeks. But it just it happened in the way that I think we all dreaded would happen. But it happened. Yeah, no, I agree with you. He, I just feel for me that Arsenal just didn't turn up today. They look nervous. I think I would still stick to my criticism of them when it comes to pressing, that they went out there, a team that was more worried about City than worried about doing what Arsenal did to get them where they're at. Fully there. agree. I think that they played within themselves. City showed their class. City showed their experience of being there. City showed why they've been champions before and the standard and expectancy of what this club is about now. That's what they showed. They came out there like a team hungry, ready to dominate, ready to prove a point, believing in themselves as individual players as well as collectively as a team. Credit to Pep Guardiola, tactically as well. It's only the smart managers where they keep, at times, obviously Pep's been criticised for overthinking. This is Pep at his best. You have Erling Haaland, one of the best hold-up players in league football, as well as scoring goals. If you have a man like that, there is nothing wrong sometimes in going direct because you're going direct to bypass a few passes, but knowing that it's going to a top-class player who's going to hold it down, link up play and bring you up the pitch. That's what they did. Some managers will not do that because they want to stick to their principles of football. Pep Guardiola is not scared to go direct. We've seen some of the best hold-up players in Premier League, how difficult they can be against. I'll always remember playing against Didier Drogba and how much of a top pain in the ass he could be playing against and why he was one of the big reasons why Chelsea was successful in that period of time. Pep played to the strengths. The bromance between Kevin De Bruyne and Haaland is just beautiful to see. It's kind of becoming so telepathic now how they're playing. And it reminds you of so many pairings that we've seen in the history of the Premier League, Andy Cole, Dwight York, and so many others that we've seen of just how good it is when you got that pairing. Last point I want to make is, for me, I think Arsenal overachieved this season in where they are right now. And it's great. Down to Arteta. Where I see a difficulty of Arsenal getting to this next level is this. Arteta's come to Arsenal, built this team mentality, the foundation about the team. If you want a team that's going to win things and compete at the highest level, what you have to do as a manager is be able to handle big personalities and big characters. Does Arteta have that ability? Because Arsenal right now look like they need a big personality. They need a big character in the sense of like a Kevin De Bruyne, like a Haaland. They need to get a player with that real big personality that is actually going to work in the system. Whether you keep them at the club for three or four years and get rid of them, which Pep is very good at doing, getting rid of players when people question, how do you get rid of that player? But he's good at it. That is what Arsenal need for the next level. You know it, Michael. You know it, Heath personalities in the dressing room play a big part. And to be a big club, you have to have some big character players where managers might have to be tested in their management style, but you need that extra X factor, which is what Man City have over Arsenal as well. Nigel Rio Coca knows all about being a big name in the dressing room, having been the lion in the jungle, as I remember him saying on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's an eat or be killed sort of environment in that locker room. One thing to add on the invoice list for Arsenal needs a therapist for Thomas Partey. This guy looked like he was struggling. He looked like he, he didn't get off the bus or off the coach or whatever the Arsenal took to get up to the Etihad Stadium. On the first goal, 
You got to stay with the most dangerous players. Man City, two players annihilated you. They're the Bash brothers. It's like watching Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. You know the ball is going to go to KDB. You know it's going to go to Erling Holland. You can't pass them off. If you stop the gap there, if you deny service into both of them, then you give yourself a chance. You can't pass on to Rob Holding, who he was playing a completely different game. We've seen that happen week in and week out over the last four matches. The warning signs were there for the Gunners. Thomas Partey, he's been at fault for giving the ball away. Today, it was losing the mark, just not coming with the right mentality. And Rob Holding, he looked like he was trying to be overzealous. Just naivety is what I saw from Arsenal today. They showed their youth. They showed their inexperience. They showed their nerves. And the few chances or the few times we saw them get into the attack, they actually were able to move the ball side to side, hitting on the counterattack through Bakayo Saka, Gabriel Martinelli. I didn't even remember him being on the field until the very end of the match when I looked at the box scores and, oh, crap, these two guys are on the pitch. Totally forgot about it. They played right into City's hands. And as both of you said, Pep Guardiola, he deserves all the plaudits. The players deserve all the plaudits. There's a ruthlessness about Manchester City right now that is scary. and. Coming into this match, I said the only team I could see beating them was Real Madrid. I cannot wait for that Champions League tie across both legs because we know that Madrid does not play into the naivety that we saw today. It's going to be one hell of a matchup. It's a good thing that you make a point as well, Mike, because I want to jump on something. You talk about Rob Holding and um, pushing and trying to press Erling Haaland. If you look at what he was doing, it's something that I used to hate a lot. It's when you know someone's physically bigger than you, do not waste your time trying to fight and wrestle them. This football, if Holden just actually stepped back a bit, if Haaland brings the ball down, then you get tight to him. His head's going to go down instantly. As long as he passes the ball backwards or sideways, your job is done. But when you spend so much time wrestling with Erling Haaland, who knows how to use his body so well, he's feeling you the whole time, he will roll you. That's what top intelligent football players do. So at the same time, it's the fact of the defender has to have better football intelligence in knowing, I don't want him to roll me or to know where I am at. Hey, by, by the way. When not to. Nigel, you, there's very few players that are going to be that size against a holding, yeah. right? And that's yeah. when you have to be able to embrace that. More often than not, yeah. you step in against your average striker, you can play that physical game. Even if they're bigger, you know that you can force them to cough up a bad touch or something. But Holland will hold you off. You hold off three, and he brought it down right on his foot without the without the bounce, still in control to lay that off, right? You have to recognize who you're playing against. Not, not, yes, not exactly. every case, but yeah. Oh, well, fantastic stuff from the guys. And we're going to take a short break and then we're going to get straight back into dissecting that City victory over Arsenal. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes... You can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. 
Welcome back, everybody, to House of Champions. I'm joined by Nigel Riokoka, Heath Pierce, and Mike Lahoud. We're going to be looking now into the impact of Manchester City's 4-1 win over Arsenal. I think we're all pretty unanimous in that we feel that the Premier League title race was decided here this evening with that victory for City. But what's the impact going to be on Arsenal? I'm going to come to you first, HP. Is this winless run that Arsenal are on going to pretty much undermine them for the rest of the season now? Or do you think that this defeat against City will spur them on to end that barren run? I truly believe that this was a a one step too far, probably for the last weeks, right? Recognizing that to do this at this level for this long was going to be very difficult considering you had a Man City on your heels with games in hand and and all of that. We thought going out in the Europa League could change could change the trajectory of what the focus was. And I I still look at it and, and I agree with Nigel what he said before, which is which is um essentially that where they finish up, finishing second in the league this year, which I believe they'll do to answer your question, JJ, is 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 that is that um that's a huge accomplishment. And if you were to ask that or offer that up in years past, this would have been a massive leap forward for the club. One, in the way that they're doing it, it doesn't look lucky. It doesn't feel out of place. I think they've over-indexed for a lot of the season in terms of what they've gotten out of all these matches. So I think they'll see this season out and, and finish th- this year strong. They've obviously got a, a, a Chelsea. They've got Newcastle after that. So they've got, some dif- they've got a couple difficult games that they've got to bounce back on. But they still have to quickly recognize that they are in a territory that maybe at the beginning of the season was the goal after all, right? If you looked at this Arsenal side, would either of you have been saying that they're sitting in the rock, locker room going, this is our year. This is Premier League is ours this year. You still have to look every day at Manchester City and say, how? How are we going to beat them week in and week out? And you've seen over time, they catch once they've catch that fire, they, they never stop. And so I think they'll bounce back. I think they'll finish the season strong. I think they'll look back at this as a successful season. If they rode second place the entire year, they would still look at this as a, wow, unbelievable you know peak year. We can build on that. But I, I do think they'll finish this out strong. I'm not sure what you guys think. Yeah, I agree with you, Heath, because when you look at the schedule, you always want to see what a team is made of by how they bounce back. And and my favorite team, Manchester United, you know, whether they finish top four or not, one of the things that I've enjoyed this season, Sevilla game excluded or Sevilla tie excluded, is seeing the character and resolve of the team when players go out, when injuries happen. That's what top four teams do. You bounce back. And what better team to bounce back against than the woeful Chelsea FC? We'll get to them next. Can't wait to decapitate them. Sorry, Vic. We're coming after your boys. And there's winnable games there. I think it's going to be really interesting how they go up to St. James's Park. Which Arsenal do we see? Is it nightmares from last year? Nightmares on uh, St. James's Park? Or is it going to be a different Arsenal that is more competitive, that keeps their nerve, and maybe get a result? Obviously, the Brighton game as well, the, the Emirates. Those are two massive games that will tell us a lot more about how this season and ends for the Gunners. Yeah, I think they'll finish strong, but I feel that there will be a big pill to swallow, a difficult one in the fact of they really believe that they could have won the Premier League. Like, we'll be lying to ourselves if four weeks ago, the Arsenal in their dress room did not really believe they could win the Premier League. Those players really thought that they could win the Premier League and really should have, but results changed. But it's and, not from um, today. It's not from today, though, Nigel. Would it's you not agree? Just from today. It's, no, it's three, not from three today, draws no. on the bounce. Yes. Is what, they, they, what did it's that? It's those results that changed. Then yeah. the cracks started to appear, and then the performance, like we saw today, appeared. If if everything was still to play for, and this was a game that Arsenal just had to win or draw, we would have seen a different performance. I think the cracks appeared from the dropped points against West Ham, against Southampton, um, and I think they, that that was the big part of it. It's still going to be the best opportunity that Arsenal had 
to win the Premier League in a long time. Until Pep Guardiola buggers off and leaves Manchester City and someone else comes in the helm, it was Arsenal's real best opportunity in a long time to win the Premier League. And let's not forget, Liverpool are going to be rebuilding for next year. Manchester United, we don't know what's going to happen with maybe a takeover and a rebuild happening there. Newcastle make the Champions League. That takes them to another elevation level in the sense of finances to compete. God knows about Chelsea because no one knows about Chelsea anyway. Mm -hmm. But um, it's going to be very interesting. I think that this was Arsenal's best chance to win the Premier League in a long time. And that's why it's going to be a tough pill to swallow. I still feel it's going to be in the back of some of those players' minds for the rest of the season. Nigel Ryokoka not including Unai Emery's Aston Villa there has hit me in the feels, guys. I'm going to be honest with you. But no, uh, just one final thing before we tie a bow on uh, on the Manchester City-Arsenal chat. Now, producer Dez has thrown in some line in the script about Premier League becoming like Ligue 1. I'm going to ignore that, but we know that in most top European leagues, there is sort of a big fish that's a lot bigger than the rest of the fish swimming around. Now, are we starting to see the emergence of a debate over whether Manchester City are perhaps too good for the Premier League? I'm going to come to you first, Nigel Ryokoka. Are City too good for the Premier League, or do you think that that now depends maybe on how long this city can continue in this kind of imperious form. Because I don't quite feel that we're at the same level yet as a Bundesliga where it's literally only by Munich up until now. Uh, and they might still win it this season, uh, you know, who have basically been champions for what, the last decade or so. I always debate this point when talking about Ligue 1 because there are some examples of, of teams that have managed to win the title. But, you know, point taken that, you know, PSG dwarf a lot of their domestic opponents, especially when you look at the budgets and the, you know, the sort of financial disparity between the club city kind of have that despite the financial riches uh, at play in the Premier League. So are we sort of reaching a point now where City can maybe pull ahead and be much, much better than the rest of the competition in the Premier League? I disagree, no. I think you just have to look at this current race right now. Look at, look at the fine margins. We're talking about the difference in three games in drop points, not losses, just drop points in the sense of a draws. It's still tight. I think the only reason why we're not seeing... It, as competitive with the likes of Liverpool being involved and Chelsea and all that. Apart from Liverpool, Chelsea's absolutely a, I don't even want to use the word, but it's its completely run the wrong way where it's just a mess. Because if you look at those players on paper, they should be a lot more in a better position than it is. Credit to the likes of Newcastle. Credit to Unai Emre turning Villa around. So I don't think it is as bad as people make it seem. I think that the Premier League is still very competitive. And I think next year we're going to see changes at other clubs. And it's just still going to be as competitive. The only difference with City is they have the luxury of having a squad that Pep Guardiola built, which he's got two teams that can compete in both ends. Other clubs can do that. It's not Pep's fault that other clubs are not buying the right players and getting their squads, their starting 11 and their bench to be as good and as competitive as Pep Guardiola. Because let's be real, you talk about Chelsea, Liverpool, uh, probably Newcastle and all these other clubs now they will be able to attract top-class players for the cities that they're at. So at the end of the day, that's where it's at. You just have to give credit to a well-run club like Manchester City with the players that they've gone after, the structure and the system that they have in place. Other clubs have the capabilities to do it and they just haven't quite done it. But I don't think we're at that level yet. Michael Hood, what are you what are you saying to that? Oh, I, I agree with Nigel. Um, I was hoping Nigel would, would agree with you or agree with that statement so I could hammer him, but... 
once again, we're on the same wavelength this week, and it's it's not a commonality on House of Champions. No, I think if you look back over the last couple of seasons, you can't say that. You can't compare it to some of the other leagues because there's been a title race in just about every year except maybe 2020. I mean, Liverpool have gone neck and neck. It's been a two-horse race. This year, another two-horse race. When these other teams, I'd love to see what Newcastle does when they start attracting even bigger players, the likes of Alexander Isak. I'm, I love this guy. I love what he did with the Swedish national team. I loved him at Real Sociedad. He will continue to grow and adapt when they bring more depth in their ranks. I, I can't wait to see what they do in midfield. They have the core there, but they will start getting world-class talent and they got the budget now. And I think we'll start seeing a three four horse race in the Premier League because the league needs that. The league needs more and more competition to keep City and hold them accountable. Yeah. The, the only thing I would say to that is it's hard to deny that it'll be what, five and six, five out of six if City go on to win this, that uh, I do think that that is I don't think we're going to enter into the the a Bayern Munich territory where it's one in ten, another team wins it. I think it'll be more than that, but five and six is a little bit alarming in that it's been purely dominant. Even if it's a one-two horse race, it is a it is a game of margins. We've seen that in, in three weeks. You can't slip up against a Manchester City in the way that Arsenal have because somebody else will come and take that from you the way that Manchester City have. And now they have this belief that they can keep doing it. Uh, I agree that Pep Guardiola is a big part of that. I agree that there's more teams coming in to put pressure. But when you looked at the start of this year and the way that Manchester City started, it felt like somebody else's year. Right? It felt like that. It felt like this is going to be the one. And we can't always go and say it's got to be Liverpool or we're never going to see a Leicester City run like that again. But it felt like somebody else's year. And City are still now on pace to potentially finish 90-plus points, which would have won them the title in you know many of the last seasons besides the one where they got 100 points on the season. Uh, and so it's it's tough to think that they're not going to be able to get into that 80-plus points to, to, to 90-plus point seasons year in and year out. It's just going to require somebody to be marginally better than that, which means they have to be almost perfect over a season, right? We saw that with Liverpool knocking on the door, and they go on and they can do European things, or Chelsea can do European things. But to to, to manage all that in a season, I agree with Nigel. Teams have funds. They have the resources to be able to do that. There's the data out there to go and build a model around that type of thing, but executing it, it could take a year. It could take a decade of failures before you actually dial that in. But I wouldn't say we're anywhere clear, uh, close to a, a, a Liga or, or, a, or a, um, a, a Bundesliga in terms of you know, the expectation from the start is, is one and only one. Well, and obviously, when you have somebody like an Erling Haaland, uh, you know, that's basically a guarantee that you're going to be scoring a hell of a lot of goals and winning a hell of a lot of points over the course of a season as well. Uh, well how long for then, JK? That's the question. Let's put it in. There. Let's put it in an in, in atmosphere. How long do you think Haaland wants to stay in Manchester City for? Because I can tell already he has his eyes set in one particular club. There's one club that he wants to play for, and he's he's in a circle of let it out there already. Enter Miami. I mean, you can't. <laughs> I, say, Austin, Austin, I mean, you can. You Arsenal. Can, you can, Arsenal, you come on. <laughs> you can't blame him for wanting to score a goal in front of the whole end and being able to su- celebrate with the home support. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, that, that was it. That was a CTA to you guys listening in from Nigel Rio Coca. Send us your thoughts on what that means for Erling Haaland. If Manchester City were to win a treble this season, would he suddenly turn his sights to potentially his next move, maybe around Madrid, maybe somewhere else, uh, or whether he's going to be dominating the Premier League for the years to come with Manchester City? Of course, this wasn't the only Premier League fixture of the evening. There were a couple of other games as well. Chelsea going down 2-0 at home to Brentford. You've got Nottingham Forest beating Brighton 3-1. 
West Ham losing 2-1 at home to Liverpool. I'm going to come to you first, Nigel Rio Coco. What was the most surprising result of this evening to you? Brentford beat Chelsea. <laughs> I mean, is that really a surprise, no, though? Surprising. I mean, I, I kind of yeah, asked you as like a loaded question. It wasn't I a surprise, that these but days. I'm picking that result. All right, I'm picking that result. Uh, Brentford beating Chelsea, yes, because for me, I'm sorry, there's no excuse. It doesn't matter who's in charge of Chelsea. When you look at the first team and you look at that starting eleven of Chelsea, there's no way those players with the international experience that they've got, the quality and the level that they should be at should lose to Brentford without being disrespectful to Brentford. But there's no way Chelsea should be still on this terrible losing streak. I'm sorry. It's just, it should not be acceptable. From what Chelsea were, the standards of what Chelsea was supposed to be, to now, it's just laughable. Yeah, I fully agree. I mean, if you look at just the graphic, if you're if you're, if you're you're watching this uh, or if you're listening to this in audio form, you got one goal scored uh, for for uh, Frank Lampard's side in the last five matches. It's, it's, it's crazy that you have that much quality, hundreds of millions of quality on the pitch. And I'm not even talking about just the strikers. You got billions of quality on the field. The three of us, the four of us can go out there right now. And we've got a decent chance of at least conjuring up something. If we can just put enough effort or fight or belief into it, you can, you can create something out of nothing. So that's just, it's just to me is I agree. It's, 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 um, it's a really disappointing uh, way to look at things. And you expect it even just get us to the end of the season, get us a few wins, get us excited about stuff. But I mean, just that match alone, uh, Brentford hopped Chelsea in the, in the table, which is crazy oh to me. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you mentioned Brentford because that's the match that really caught my eye. Brentford, a team that made it to the FA Cup semifinals, a team we've all lauded for what Deserby is doing. Young, exciting, McAllister, Caicedo, Evan Ferguson, new contract. We talked to Fabrizio Romano this morning about how important that is. But you start seeing the wear and tear on a club like Brentford and a team like Brentford or Brentford, excuse me, Brighton, keep saying Brentford, Brighton, when you don't have enough depth. And you saw that today. Purvis Estupinian gives up the first goal because he's heavy-legged. He's caught on the ball. We're not used to seeing that from the Ecuadorian left back. And, what? you know, what? He wasn't it's true. Leg. He was trying to be a they, smart ass in the box and gave the ball he away. Was he was heavy-legged, heavy man. Call him Let the man be heavy-legged. Heavy-legged in the brain. How about yeah, that? Yeah. It was disappointing performance from them all around. They started in CISO up top, not playing with a full striker. You see the 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 significant of Ferguson being out, Danny Welbeck coming off the bench, and I think that cost them. And could we see potentially this costing them a European finish? Man, I love the fact that Mike is just pretending that he watched Brighton when he was blatantly yeah. watching Man City. Oh, not only that, but he also doesn't want to talk about the fact that Forrest go and get the win and now his beautiful leads that are over his left shoulder in the camera yeah. right now are at Wait, some real, running I'm some just, real I had to pick Heath, someone else. Heath, tell him also as well that the fact of Forrest are always good at home. Most of their points they, have come from their home game, so it's always going to be difficult for Brighton. And you're talking about heavy leg. Did you give him a massage last night to say heavy leg? He's trying to be a smart <laughs> in the box. That's 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 clearly clearly. That's for the after show. That's for the after show. But you, if you, by, by the way, I, uh, watching the final 20 minutes of of the 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 the, the Forest match, the energy that they had, the belief, right? And we're in we're in the relegate we're in the thick of the relegation battles right now. That sort of passion and belief that every time they cleared the ball out of bounds, they made a standard play. The team was celebrating like they scored a goal together, right? <laughs> they put a ball out for a corner. It's high fives all around. Somebody makes a tackle on the sideline. They're like uh, going to the corner flag to slide on their knees. 
but there is a there is an energy around that 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 I can appreciate at this point in the season that that you know that could be the thing that 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 changes everything for them. It may still let be too just, short in the end, but let me just drop you one more time quickly. Have have any of you guys seen the second goal for Brentford against Chelsea? Oh, no, not. that is the one match I didn't watch. Well, watch the second goal of how easily. Brentford played from back to front, one-touch passes to get through Chelsea and score a goal. And then Frank Lampard's face is on the camera after. Oh, my God. But but we've seen that before for Brentford playing against London teams. Excellent record against clubs from London this season. Yeah. But they've been average recently, right? They're a mid-table. Yeah, they're going to finish, yeah, yeah. finish mid-table. Like, and now they get to play in a match like this where once you're mid-table and you got nothing else going on, you just play spoiler to anyone and everyone and what other people have set as goals for the rest of the year. And you can't. Can't stop them from that. I mean, Chelsea are seem to be an easy, easy rollover, but you wouldn't expect. Well, obviously, the the thing that we love about this part of the season is there's so much at stake in all of these games. Just by looking at those matches tonight, Leicester dropping into the relegation zone, Liverpool as well getting back amongst the points, which makes things interesting in terms of the pursuit for Europe. We're going to take a short break in a moment, but first of all, we're going to say thanks to HP for jumping in and joining us. HP, come back on again. Pleasure to have you and uh, looking forward to the next time. Sorry it couldn't be under happier circumstances, but always a pleasure to see his face. Catch him on In Soccer We Trust podcast with Jimmy Conrad and Charlie Davies live on Thursday at 1 p.m. ET. Make a note of it in your diaries, guys. We're taking a short break. Thanks again to HP, and we'll be back with some Copper Italia chat after that. All right, everybody, welcome back to House of Champions. We've been picking through all of the Wednesday Premier League action, and now we're going to turn our attention to the Coppa Italia. We've got Inter Milan against Juventus, sorry, Inter against Juventus. Inzaghi opting for Dzeko over Lukaku. Guys, what are we making of this one? Semi-final, second leg. So Inter, 1-0 winners there. Mike LaHood, did you uh, check in on this as well, where you were browsing through pretty much every game that wasn't City (laughs) against Arsenal? No, I was. I, this one I can say I checked in on for sure. I'm a big fan of this Inter team. I'm a f- big fan of Nicolo Barella. Been talking about this guy for the last month in the UEFA Champions League. Dished out the assist to, to DeMarco for the game-winning goal. And this is an Inter team that's getting it done in cup competition. What I say in the preview ahead of this match, Inter is not a league team. They are a cup team, and they own the Coppa Italia. They know when to step up. I was shocked that Romelu Lukaku did not get the start. And Zaghi's done this before. In big games against top opponents, he likes Lautaro Martinez and Edin Dzeko. At what point, though, does the tide turn and you start Romelu Lukaku? Because at the weekend against Empoli, Lukaku gets a brace and still is back on the bench. In a final, which I expect them to potentially play against Fiorentina, a team that's red hot as of late. I know they got the loss against Lech Poznan in Europe. Uh, they will be a tough team to go against in a potential final. Yeah, absolutely. Well, reminder for you guys that it was indeed Inter advancing 2-1 on aggregate and Fiorentina hold a 2-0 aggregate lead heading into the second leg of that one. But uh, I'm going to move it on to an interesting topic of debate, actually, because we've got it down as uh, potentially uh, to be in our in our final thoughts. But obviously, as two guys who spent a lot of time playing uh, in North America, I need to get your guys' opinions on the UEFA president, Sheffrin, 
hinting at the possibility of Champions League games coming to North America. Now, speaking with men in Blazers, he spoke about how it's possible, how it's been started to be discussed, and that one year they were talking about it, and then the World Cup got in the way, then the Euros, uh, then you've got the Champions League final being played in Istanbul, uh, and then a number of different venues sort of set for the years to come. But after that, let's wait and see. Mike Lahoud, I'm going to come to you first as the... uh, as, as, as the resident uh, American in this, uh, in this debate, and then I'm going to come to Nigel afterwards. Good thing or bad thing? Because I know that a lot of people, uh, you know, based in Europe certainly don't sort of share the view that many, uh, you know, people within UEFA are starting to put out there that this is something that they would like to see happen. I think it's a bad thing. This is all about money. This is all about marketability. The The United States and North America are ripe. You got the TV rights. Is it the Premier League TV rights? No, but you have TV rights here. You have the biggest companies. You have the biggest sponsors that would jump on it at the drop of a hat. But when I see a move like this, I see a UEFA that's not considering the fan bases, the fans that will go to the ends of Europe to follow their favorite team. The cost of tickets to fly continentally to go from Europe all the way to the U.S. through the roof right now. And now you're adding lodging, all the things. I don't think it's a good move. I think you keep it in Europe. And that's just my take. It's all about the money. It's all about the money, baby. That's all it is, Mike. It's all about the money. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. It's just greed. That's all it is. It's greed. It's UEFA in competition with FIFA, for people who don't know, because FIFA were talking about revamping the World Club competition. It's a power struggle. It's politics in sports. And then when athletes take politics onto the pitch, people get upset. There shouldn't be no politics. Well, this is the politics of sports that football players see. Michael's right. UEFA has no business bringing the Champions League to America. Tell me the reason why. To grow the sport? No, let America grow the sport themselves. There's no reason. You're trying to compete with the Super Bowl. The UEFA president better be careful that European fans don't turn up to his house and do some stuff to him. Because at the end of the day, football in Europe, football clubs are based on the foundation of community, city, where you're from. If Americans want to experience the Champions League, get on a plane, fly to Europe. Because if they want us to experience the Super Bowl, they will get us to fly from Europe to come here. I don't see American sports like the Super Bowl saying we're going to play a Super Bowl final in Europe. That will never happen because American fans uh, will burn the house down. Don't say never. Let's see them put a Super NFL, Bowl NFL, in Europe. NFL is eyeballing London like a treasure chest right now. Don't say never. But I agree. Uh, they, they can. They, they'll put a team there, but they won't put the Super Bowl there because American fans won't be happy. The time zones, the three. No, it's not going to happen. So for me, I just feel that it makes no sense. It's called European UEFA Champions League. Europe is the continent. Why would you take out of Europe and go to America? If you want to take it to America, why not take it to Africa? Why not take it to Middle East? Why go to America out of all the other continents you can take it to? Uh, These are great points, guys. And I've got producer Des also whispering in our ear, NFL plays regular season games in Europe. And I mean, I think that's season games. That's the difference between season games and Champions League, mate. (laughs) And and, and the Super Bowl, sorry. I think that's also part of the debate, though, because when, uh, you know, guys like Sheffrin are asked these kind of questions, I think the immediate assumption is that we're talking sort of, you know, the real prestigious matches, i.e. sort of the finals, the semifinals, Uh, you know, and I think it's something, you know, if it does happen, which 
Personally, I feel there's an inevitability. Am I for it? Yeah. No, I'm not. But do I think that it's going to happen at some point? Yes, I do. I mean, you listen to some of the noises coming out, notably uh, uh, ECA chief uh, Nasser El Halafi sort of talking about how this kind of need, this want for, for kind of a Super Bowl equivalent in, uh, in football and sort of opening and closing ceremonies. Uh, and, you know, it does feel like it's literally just a matter of time. But I feel it's something that if it does happen, it has to be worked up to. It's almost kind of like... You know, venues like the US, and I agree with Nigel as well, like if you're talking about potentially moving it out of Europe, why should it automatically only and exclusively sort of go to America? Why does do other areas of the world not get considered for that? You know, Asia, I'm sure, would want to have a massive say uh, in that, given sort of the importance, uh, you know, of that uh, time zone as well in terms of scheduling fixtures. So, you know, for me, it feels like this is something where, you know, almost you'd be asking, uh, you know, potential venues to to kind of earn their stripes and show why they're worthy of sort of you know ha having some of these bigger games by starting off with some of the smaller ones you know potentially in the in the group stage i know that we've got this swiss format coming in in the next couple of years as well so i guess we'll see how that potentially opens things up to move some games uh, abroad but it does feel despite the fact that it's very depressing talking about you know all of this through uh, you know sort of the, the the financial kaleidoscope that it is something that's going to happen and it's it's more of an inevitability now uh, i know just before so, Kara, quickly, right, let's just just want to add this so he also mentioned something recently about having a a wage cap right Yep, that's been spoken about for a while i mean i think about, so. i think you can liken it to the to what's happening in la liga as well yeah, so he wants to do a salary cap, but yet you want to take the Champions wow. League final to America so you guys can make money, but yet you want to put a salary cap on the players. Tell me that's just not hypocrisy at its highest. At the end of the day, when you take football clubs away from the communities and the clubs that have been supported by their local fans going in your gates every week to play a game in America, football is dead for me. That means football's completely died. It's not about the game anymore. It's not about the community. It's not about the city where that club comes from. It's just all about finances. And I understand there is a corporate side to it, but you're going against the, the wrong way about it for me. Well, nothing uh, like a debate over moving the Champions League to America to really uh, get emotions running high. Uh, in other news, you had Atletico Madrid beating Mallorca and marking their 120-year anniversary by wearing a blue and white kit in tribute to the club's first ever team crest. Mm -hmm. And I will leave that to you to work out who put that in the running order. Definitely wasn't producer Des, but there is Atleti's kit and Antoine Griezmann, as always, looking like an Easter egg. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure being on with you. And more to come on Friday as well. 10 a.m. ET will be focusing our attention on the top four races and relegation dogfights across Europe's biggest leagues. But thanks so much to you guys for listening to House of Champions, joining in, sending us your questions, getting involved in the chat. Please take a minute to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere that you listen to your podcast. In fact, we're also available as videos. So subscribe to us on youtube as well mike lahood nigel rio coca thank you so much for joining me and picking through all of the best of wednesday's action until next time it's goodbye from us Ta -ra.